So I have a question for you. Who is your role model? Who is your role model? Who is the person who you admire? Who is a person that you'd like to be like? It may be a parent, maybe a sibling, maybe a friend, maybe a mentor. It may even be somebody who you don't know personally. Many of us have people in our lives that we look up to, people that we admire, people who we want to be like. There may be another way to ask this question. Who influences you? Who's your influencer? YouTube and other social media sites are full of influencers. Who influences you? Okay, now that you have that person in mind, I'd like you to think about, I'd like you to identify what it is about that person that you admire. What it is about that person that that makes you look to them as a role model. What is it that they do? What is it that they say? What is it that they believe? What are their traits and characteristics that you want to emulate, that you want to imitate? What is it about them that makes them your role model, that makes them your influencer? Who is that person for you? Oh man, that's going to mess up my timing. (laughs) Oh, Wes, man, you got to go home. (laughs) Okay. Who is the person? Because this morning, God is going to identify the person who should be our role model. God is going to share with us who should be your influencer. The person that we should look up to in our lives. And it's interesting God identifies this person who should be our role model, this person who should be our influencer, as the ideal servant. And that's not like us to normally pick a person that we would identify as a servant to be our role model, but God identifies the person who should be our influencer, the person who should be our role model, as the ideal servant. That's because God knows that the ideal servant is the one who demonstrates selfless love, who meets us in the places where we need to be met, who meets our very greatest need so that we can be influenced to demonstrate love to others through the love that we can offer them. Please take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50 is found on page 598 in the Bible that the church provides, and I encourage you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one that's in the rack in front of you. This morning, our text identifies the ideal servant, the ultimate influencer. Isaiah 50 begins by making it clear that God loves his people. God loves his children, and therefore, he's going to deliver them from their bondage. God's people, Israel, they've suffered. They've suffered for their sins and they're weary and they're discouraged. So God is going to provide for them a servant to comfort them and provide them with an example on how to be faithful and obedient. Many of you last week expressed your desire to be more obedient 
to your heavenly father. And today we're going to look at what that obedience looks like. We're going to look at the ideal servant. And as we have said over and over again, these verses are more than ancient words to an ancient people. They are God's words of encouragement to us right here this morning. These words are meant for you, and these words are meant for me. So the question for you is, who do you think is the ideal servant? Wes, you're not allowed to answer. Who do you think is the ideal servant? Who? Yes, this isn't a trick question. I've told you anytime we ask this question, the answer is Jesus. It's a simple question. No trickery. Jesus is the ideal servant. And here in this text, almost 700, about 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah shares with us Jesus' words. In these verses, these first few verses that we are about to read, it is Jesus who is speaking. And he wants to comfort you, and he wants to give you an example to follow, an example that encourages you or influences you to be more faithful and obedient. So let's look at how Jesus, the ideal servant, describes himself and demonstrates to us how we can become better servants of God. First, Jesus, the ideal servant, says that he listens. Look at Isaiah 50, beginning in verse four. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. Jesus says that God has opened his ears to listen. He says that he has a well-instructed tongue. Learning requires listening. It requires attention to the source of wisdom. Is your role model, is your influencer a source of wisdom? Before Jesus had anything to say, he listens. Look at verse four. The sovereign Lord, his heavenly father, was his teacher, his own personal tutor. It says that he was taught morning by morning which implies learning by repetition over and over again. And notice it was in the morning. Yes, it's the morning. This tells us that that it was in the morning, that this is a big priority for Jesus because it's the first thing that he does. The first thing he does in the morning or one of the first things that Jesus does in the morning is he listens. He gets up in this morning to listen and he gets instruction for his day before anything else. We read this of Jesus in Mark 1, verse 35 as well. Look what it says there. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, it's not that God is not speaking at other times of the day. He is But the problem is later in the day, at other times of the day, there's often more noise. There's often more of a crowd trying to get your attention. So Jesus goes morning by morning. There's a principle here that we do not want to rush past. God wants to be the one who sets your agenda for the day. He wants to set the tone. He wants to be your first teacher. He wants to speak to you. 
Now, I know you may not be a morning person, but who is the first person you should hear from each day? To learn how to become more like Jesus, we need to listen. Even Jesus, look at what Jesus says in John 12. Look what he says. For Je- this is Jesus. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Jesus listened to his heavenly Father. He listened to what his Father had to say. His ears were open so that he could hear what God had to say. What God had to say to him. And here's the thing. Because he listened, he knew what to do and say. Look again at verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Jesus knows what to say to those who are weary, those who are tired, those who are worn out, those who are at the end of their rope. You see, Jesus' words are effective in part because he never forgot that he was a learner. He was a learner, and then he became a teacher. He never quit learning from his heavenly father. He listened so that he could speak a word that sustained the weary. Jesus always knew exactly what to do and say. Take, for example, the story of Lazarus. After Jesus' good friend Lazarus had died, Jesus goes to visit the family. And as he comes up to visit the family, Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes up to Jesus. Martha is, 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 is Lazarus' sister, and she's the outgoing. She's the talkative. She's the intense sister. And she comes to Jesus, and she says to Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds to Martha with statements of truth. He says to Martha, Martha, Lazarus will rise again. And Martha says, yeah, yeah, I know. But she doesn't kind of get the whole picture. So Jesus responds with another statement of truth. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will live and never die. And he says to Martha, do you understand? Do you know what I'm talking about? And Martha says, yes. And then Jesus continues, and he comes to Lazarus' other sister, Mary. Mary's the quiet, reserved sister. And to her, he doesn't speak words of truth. To her, he weeps with her. You see, Jesus knew exactly what to do and knew exactly what to say because he listened first. Are you a person who listens? Do you listen to what your heavenly father has to say to you? It's hard to listen. Let's be honest. It's difficult to listen. It is a discipline to listen because most of us would rather talk than listen. But Jesus says he's looking for those who have ears to hear. Ears to hear what I have to say to you.
You see, most of us would rather look for other things to do. We look for other things to cover up our anxiety, to cover up our fears, to cover up our loneliness. We, we try to fill our time with activities. We take out our phone and we scroll. We search Instagram over and over again because that's better than sitting in the quiet and listening. Some would rather go to a movie or read a novel than sit and listen to what God has to say because listening is difficult. Listening is hard. And most of the time, we'd rather be entertained than instructed. But God says, he is looking for those who listen to what he has to say. Are you willing to listen to what God has to say to you? And there's an awesome thing that comes that happens when you listen. Because when you take the time to sit and listen to what God has to say, when you act like the ideal servant, when you emulate what he does, what happens is, is God starts to speak to you. And when you are sitting listening and God starts to speak to you, what you will start to hear is that God loves you. That God cares for you. That God wants the best to you. He will speak to you words of comfort and words of peace and words of assurance. Yes, there will be times when he speaks words of truth to you because you need to hear words of truth. And sometimes those words will be difficult. Sometimes those words will be hard to hear, but he knows exactly what to do and say because he first listened to his heavenly father. And when he speaks, he will sometimes speak words of truth, but he will also be there to weep with you to comfort you. See, if you're willing to listen, you're going to hear that God loves you and he cares for you and he has purpose for you. And then the text says, not only will you listen and hear what God has to say, but then he will give you and he will give me a well-instructed tongue. Why? So that when we face our fears and listen to how God is affirming us, when we face the difficulties in life and the trials, and when we experience pain, God is going to speak words of comfort into our affliction. And when he speaks words of comfort into our affliction, and we experience his comfort, and we experience his peace, we in turn will then be able, with a well-instructed tongue, to speak words of comfort and encouragement to others who are afflicted to demonstrate the love of God to others. So the ideal servant first says that he listens. Second, the ideal servant, second, the ideal servant says that he submits. Look at the second part of verse five. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. Now, remember, this is Jesus speaking. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus submitted to the will of his father. He was not rebellious. He did not turn away. Jesus heard difficult words from the Father, words that resulted in him going to a small hill, being placed on a cross on a small hill outside of the city of Jerusalem. He could have turned away. He could have went in a different direction. He could have refused the words of his Father, but he didn't 
He was obedient to the will of his father. He was willing to submit himself to rejection, to physical abuse, to pain, to psychological humiliation, to torment, to torture. It says he was beaten. His beard was pulled out one year at a time. It's as if he says, I did not turn away from the mental and emotional abuse, the verbal insults, the humiliation of being spit upon. I did not turn my face aside. I gave They gave me their best shot. And I submitted to the will of my father. Jesus endured all of these sufferings because he knew that they were the means of demonstrating God's love and his love for you and for me. Jesus knew that his submission and suffering would lead to our salvation and reward. Did you hear that? Jesus knew that his submission and suffering would lead to our salvation and reward. Now we might think that Jesus' submission and his suffering would disqualify him. That because of weakness or because of failure or because he was misguided, that this would somehow disqualify him. But in reality, it is just the opposite. It gives him credibility. Jesus understands what it is like to submit when it hurts. Jesus understands what it is like to submit when it doesn't make sense. Jesus understands what it is like to submit when it doesn't seem fair. He is the one who we can trust because he is able to empathize with us when we go through difficulties, when we go through trials, when we go through suffering, he knows exactly what it is like. Jesus submitted to the will of his father. And just like Jesus, we are called to submit to the will of our heavenly father. We need to obey him into what he calls us to do and what he instructs us not to do, even if it leads to difficulties and sufferings. You know, it is easy to talk about submitting to our Heavenly Father until we believe it is going to lead us into difficulty, trials, or suffering. You know, it's interesting. I shared the story about Jesus visiting Lazarus's family, but there's more to that story. Before Lazarus dies, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem and Jesus is teaching. And while he's teaching, a bunch of opposition, there's some people that are opposed to him that come to listen to him. They're, 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 they're identified as op- Jewish opposition to Jesus in the text. And they come and they begin to question Jesus. And the main question that they ask is, are you the Messiah? And so Jesus responds, yes, I'm the Messiah. And they say, well, we don't, we, we don't believe you. We don't think you're the Messiah. We don't really under, Messiah. We don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus says to them, is you don't understand and you don't believe because you are not my sheep. 
and you can't hear my voice, which makes them very upset. They get very angry that Jesus has called them out. So what do they do? They pick up stones. They pick up stones to stone Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus escapes. He crosses to the other side of the Jordan River. And while he's on the other side of the Jordan River, it's there that he hears that Lazarus is sick. And so he says to his disciples, we need to go back. We need to go see Lazarus. But the disciples know that going back means that they're going to have to cross back over the Jordan River. They're going to have to go to the village of Bethany, which is close to the city of Jerusalem, where all the people want to stone them and want to kill them. But Jesus says, we need to go. What would be your response? What would you say to Jesus? Knowing that he's going to take you back to the place where there are people who want to kill you. It looks as if Thomas, the disciple Thomas, is the first one to respond. And you know what he says? He turns and he looks at the rest of the disciples and he says, let us go with him to go to that place to die with him. It's not on Thomas's mind that they're going to actually see Lazarus or Martha or Mary. Thomas and the disciples believe they're crossing back over the Jordan to go die. The disciples saw the ideal servant, Jesus, was willing to submit to the Father. So they were willing to submit to Jesus. They listened, they submitted, and they obeyed. It's the same thing that Jesus is asking you and me to do. Listen, submit, and obey. It's what the ideal servant did, and it is what the ideal servant does. But let's be honest, that's not easy. That is a difficult calling. It is a difficult task submitting, knowing that it is likely to lead to trials, to difficulties, and to suffering. It's hard. It's difficult. But there is hope. The ideal servant submits and obeys and does not change his mind and does not turn back because the ideal servant knows that his heavenly father, God, is going to help him. Look at verse 7. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Although Jesus exposed himself to extreme humiliation, remember, he was beaten, he's mocked, he's spit upon. Because of God's help, he knows that he is going to endure, and he knows he will not be disgraced. Because of the Lord's help, he says right there, I have set my face like flint. He is resolute and he is determined in the face of opposition because of the Lord's help. He knows that he will not be ashamed. 
Look how God helps him. Verses eight and nine. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. The Lord God, who he recognizes as near to him, it says, will vindicate him. It's a courtroom term for a courtroom scene. In verses 7 and 8, the ideal servant challenges his opponents. He calls out his opponents. He says, come into the courtroom. We are going to have a trial. And here in this trial, you can present your charges. You can present your case against me. And the ideal servant knows that it is all going to work out because his heavenly father, the Lord God, is the judge. He is the one who is going to make the final determination and the judge is on his side. His enemies are going to condemn him. They will continue to condemn him, but they are going to fail. Unlike the ideal servant who sets his face like flint, the enemies, look what it says, will wear out like a garment, the moss will eat them up. Now this is an interesting phrase. It's important to remember the phrase, the enemies will wear out like a garment, the moss will eat them up. What it is saying is they're going to fail. But it's interesting because it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't look like it's necessarily a quick response. Like garments don't wear out rapidly. Moths don't eat a garment all in one day. It takes time. The failure will likely be gradual and maybe even imperceptible but it is certain. The enemies will wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Jesus, the ideal servant, knew that the Lord would help him. He knew the Lord God would vindicate him. Therefore, he set his face like flint. There's another courtroom scene. After Jesus is arrested, he is brought before the authorities, and he's brought before the authorities, and he's challenged And he's asked question after question about who he is. And you know what he does? For the most part, he just keeps quiet. He doesn't even really respond to his accusers. He doesn't make his case. He doesn't present a well-thought-out, well-thought-through, well-articulated argument. He just stands before him, before Pilate, before the other accusers, and says very little. Why? Because he knows that in that courtroom, it really doesn't matter. It only matters in the heavenly courtroom where God decides. And the ideal servant knows that it is God who is going to ultimately vindicate him. And the others are going to wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. So for us, for you, for me. How, how can you submit to the Lord's will and obey God when that very obedience may put you in a trial or a difficulty? It may lead to your suffering. How is it that we can go into a situation and expect mockery and expect humiliation? How can you go to school and say that you're a Christian? How can you stand up in front of your class and give a speech on what it means to be a follower of Jesus? How can you write a paper in college articulating your beliefs, knowing that you are going to be mocked and ridiculed 
that it is going to cause trial and difficulty for you, that it will ultimately be suffering? How can you go to your job and speak of Jesus's love that he has for you and his love that he has for your coworkers, knowing that they're going to turn their backs and laugh at you? How can you submit to the will of your heavenly father when you know it's going to cause a trial, a difficulty, when you know it is likely to lead to suffering? Because you know, this is how, because you know that God, the Lord God is going to help you and that ultimately it is he that is going to vindicate you because his courtroom is the only courtroom that matters. Now this stuff is scary. It may not be scary for you, but it's scary for me. And I'm a pastor. I work here. This is scary to submit yourself to the Lord's will, knowing that it is going to lead to trials, to difficulties, to suffering. You have to know. You have to believe that God is real, that your heavenly father loves you, and he is the one who is going to help you. And in the depths of your soul, know that you are going to be vindicated. That's the promise of this text. That is the promise that the ideal servant understands and then speaks to you and to me. And you know what else? Those who oppose are going to wear out like a garment and the moths are going to eat them up. The last two verses of Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11, the ideal servant is no longer speaking. Jesus is no longer speaking. God is now speaking and he presents all of us Everyone, everyone here and everyone ev- everywhere, he presents all of us a choice. Beginning in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. The question that begins this paragraph is, direct, is directed to every one of us here this morning. If you look carefully at verses 10 and 11, humanity is divided in into, into only two groups. Humanity is divided in into only two groups. And it's not the religious and the non-religious or the good and the bad, or Republican and Democrat, or liberal and conservative. It's not any of those divisions. The two groups are those who obey Jesus, the ideal servant, and those who oppose Jesus, the ideal servant. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral position. There are only two types of people. Those who obey Jesus and those who oppose Jesus. And verse 10 speaks to those who obey Jesus, those who follow him. And it's an encouraging verse 
Verse 11 is a frightening reminder for those who choose to disobey Jesus. These verses are very clear. The only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus, the ideal servant. We cannot claim to know God unless we submit to his ideal servant. The heart of the issue is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, it's interesting. Jesus asked this question in Luke 6. Look at the question Jesus asked in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's a group of people at this point in his ministry who are following him around. And they're following him around and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're acting as if they're followers of Jesus. And Jesus turns to them and says to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You see, in our faith, in following Jesus, hearing truth is always associated with doing truth. When Jesus speaks to you, he expects that you will obey what he has to say. And that's what God is laying out in these verses. There's only two types of people. There's those who obey Jesus, and there are those who oppose Jesus. And so God gives us a choice. Hearing truth is always associated with doing truth. And then in verse 10, there's something really interesting, and I think it is very encouraging. It says that we're called to walk in obedience even when we can't see where we are going, when it seems like we're walking in the dark. This is interesting. You see, following Jesus, obeying Jesus, does not mean that we will always be able to see or know where we are going at times. And maybe for extended periods of times, it will feel like we are in the dark. It says right here, you, it's like you have no light. Jesus himself experienced these times. When he was in the garden prior to being arrested, it was a dark time for Jesus When he goes to the cross and the whole world becomes dark in the middle of the day and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was experiencing darkness. He was being obedient to his heavenly father, yet there he was in the dark. So there are times in our lives as followers of Jesus when we will experience darkness when times, when things do not resolve themselves, when things are not wrapped up in a pretty bow, times where we just sit in brokenness and lament. And that's okay. Part of being obedient and following Jesus means that at times we're going to take and face consequences that are difficult and hard trials, difficulties, sufferings. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And often in those times, it will feel really, really dark. Many of us have been there. Some of you may be there this morning where everything just feels dark. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a health issue a failure of a relationship, maybe you're struggling with your sexuality, the difficulty that leads to darkness. 
And at times it can feel overwhelming and we just sit, have to sit in the brokenness, in the lament. But the encouragement is there. Look at verse 10. You see, we are encouraged to walk by faith and not by sight. And verse 10 encourages us. It says, trust in the name of the Lord. If you're in the darkness, if you cannot see in front of you, if you don't even know what the next step is to take, the encouragement here, what God is saying to you is trust me. Trust me, trust in the name of the Lord and just take one step at a time, one day at a time. But we need to understand that even though the darkness is difficult, in this context, it's better than the alternative. Look at the alternative listed in verse 11. It's a warning to the disobedient. Remember, there are only two types of people those who obey Jesus and those who don't. Verse 11 says that it is possible to light your own way with flaming torches so that you can do what you want to do, so that you can make your own rules. If you're not comfortable with the darkness that you may be living in, God says there is this way you could possibly light your own torch so that you may be able to see where you're going. You may be able to make your own decisions your own rules. But look what it's the result. Look what it says. You will lie down in torment. The result is clearly death. God is saying that if you choose to light your own path, if you choose to make your own decisions, if you try to work it out on your own and ignore the voice of Jesus, then you are going to have to live with the consequences. You are going to have to live with the results and you will be miserable, restless, unhappy, and in torment. It may initially appear easier, but ultimately it's not. So this morning, we have a choice. And the choice is, is are you going to be the person who obeys Jesus? Or are you going to be the person who opposes Jesus? Are you going to be the one who listens to what God has to say to you and submits, knowing that it is likely to lead to trials, to difficulties, to suffering, but understanding that ultimately God is going to help you and you will be vindicated. Is that the person you are going to be? Now you may be here this morning and you may be checking this whole thing, Jesus thing out and not quite sure. And after you hear this, you may think, you know what? I've tried to make a lot of these decisions on my own. I've tried to light my flaming torches and it's not working out so well. Today may be the day that God has brought you to this place to hear this message so that you can say yes to Jesus. This is the day he is calling you and he is telling you, put out your own torch and listen to me. And you will hear that God loves you, that he cares for you, and he wants the best for you. If you're here and you are already a follower of Jesus, I think this message is pretty clear. Most of us like to talk first. The ideal servant listens first. Listens and then submits to the will of the heavenly father. 
doing whatever he asks us to do, although it may lead to trials, it may lead to difficulties, it may lead to suffering. But the promise is, God will help you. And he is going to rule in your favor. If you listen and you submit, he is going to rule in your favor and vindicate you. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to submit? Are you willing to follow the ideal servant so that you can be called an ideal servant? Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.